Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Corey Chavis. We will talk about Vandy's 63-10 win over Hawaii. Yeah, that's right, 63-10. Doesn't sound right, but it was. A lot to talk about with that. Had a great episode with Corey, so here that is. Corey Chavis joins me tonight. You know him as a former Commodore and NFL defensive back. Corey owns his own company, DraftNasty.com, and, of course, continues to be an avid follower of Vanderbilt football. Corey, hope you're doing well. That was quite a performance for Vanderbilt in week zero. Yeah, it was, man. It was an excellent performance. I know a good way for the team to get the season started. And I know we, we kind of had been talking about them quite a bit in recent weeks. And I think when you put in all the hard work that we've seen them put in over the summer, it has to be a good feeling to – really um, at least get the season off on the right foot. Were you as shocked as I was that it was that easy? I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised that they won going away, but I didn't see 63-10 to 10 coming either. Did you? Well, there were some things that we had discussed, I guess, uh, when we were talking uh, during the week that I kind of told you were a little bit of my concerns for um, having had some experience with Hawaii late in the season a year ago some of the things that uh, within uh, even uh, their just overall the, the, the psyche, you know, coming off of uh, last year late in the season um, that, you know, it was going to be difficult for them. I felt like in some areas to match up. Now, offensive line wise, we talked a little bit about Elm Manning and, and Vanderpool and some of the guys that they had on the offensive line. Uh, and I thought they had their moments at times, but it was really going to come down to whether or not Schrager could get into a rhythm, uh, and I don't think Nick Howell ever let that happen. Yeah, and I know we've talked a lot off podcast about the mental end for Vanderbilt, and if you remember back to the first few minutes, Hawaii takes the opening kickoff, goes down the field. There's all this excitement in the stadium because it's Timmy Chang's debut and all this, and Vanderbilt gives up a first touchdown drive, and, and it looked a little too easy, and all those thoughts of last year and years past come back. The first drive that Vanderbilt had, as I recall, wasn't very good. Got stonewalled by a couple of penalties. But, man, they sure were able to flip the switch pretty quickly. From really about the end of the first quarter on, they took total control of that game and never looked back. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like there was some things that uh, I, I thought probably on that first drive. I just talked about L. Manning. Well, the corner came up in terms of B.J. Anderson. He made a pretty good block against him. And on that play, I thought Orgy, you know, he had his gap control and maybe could have slid a little bit faster uh, to try to handle the bounce uh, from Parsons. But uh, I, I thought really it was just one of those things where when you get kicked out like that by the corner, it opens up a wide uh, gap in, in terms of just really a, a, almost a crater to have to try to fill and it was a little bit of a difficult feel, and, and they popped pop the run. I mean, that, that happens in the game, and I, I think they adjusted very very well after that. Yeah, what adjustments did you see the defense make after that drive? 
Well, I think one of the big things that I thought they did a better job of as the game went along of setting the edge. Uh, I thought that was something that, you know, impressed throughout uh, for the most part. I think that that has a lot to do with whether or not you're going to be able to um, really be able to stop the run, period. And I, and I felt like um, really as the game went along, even though that, you know, you take away that first drive, they had a lot of carries so why, but uh, they were for minimal gains. And, and, and I feel like they did a very good job of filling the alleys also in the run game. And uh, I, I really thought that the, the linebacker play was good overall throughout the night. The defensive line was pretty active. One of the big plays, you know, just you think about Larry Black and the defensive line coach, and one of the things he always talks about is getting out of the mesh and running to the football. Uh, and I know he had to be extremely uh, excited when Elijah McAllister did just that and, and ran. Uh, and those are the things he stressed, you know, stresses so much. You know, you're retracing, getting back to the football, you run to the football, and, and you force a fumble. And and I think that that, that Coach Jackson and and the entire secondary uh, has to be happy when on that play. It's a little thing. One of the things that they were going over all campus, you know, when you're on the perimeter in that nickelback or kind of hybrid position like Mahoney is, you've got to set the edge. And that's the only reason why that, that, that forced fumble happened was because Mahoney came up and set the edge and kept his outside arm free. And that allows that inside out pursuit. If you're on the, you know, hustling to the football to happen. So, Little things like that, I believe, make a huge difference. And I think that's where the coaches have to be most happy. What you're coaching up uh, and, and concentrating on during the summer pays off in week one, particularly on that play when they forced the fumble. I believe it was in the second quarter. Uh, and that's the one that C.J. Taylor ended up um, recovering and going in for a touchdown on. Corey, what did you think of the game that Nick Howell called? One thing that I liked is I just felt he sent pressure from a lot of places, sometimes you'd see a corner or a safety blitzing. Um, sometimes they got pressure with their front four. I just thought he did a really good job in keeping Hawaii off balance most of the night. Yeah, we mixed up his fronts, and then there was a, there were some times where there was some incorporation. Of, sometimes it would be three-man and you play a little bit of zone, and sometimes they went into some man coverage looks. I think they had to kind of mix things up in terms of when you're going against you kind of have an idea of what the offense is going to be like. It wasn't truly all the way a run and shoot. It was kind of like an offense that you got a little bit of a, a tight end being involved within the attack, uh, uh, which we would consider 11 personnel, three tight ends, one I – mean, excuse me, three wide receivers, one tight end and a running back. So they mixed some of their personnel groupings up, and you had to kind of get a feel for the game in that first quarter of how they were trying to attack. So I, I felt like that when they brought in their backup quarterback, their backup quarterback uh, actually uh, Yellen had probably maybe a little bit more run capability than Schrager. He didn't. He never really got going though. So I, I felt like the way that he kind of kept them off balance was just by mixing up the looks. And I think that's something that you'll see uh, because remember, even late in the game, you saw uh, Richard uh, coming off the slot and he got a sack. So you know where is the pressure coming from? How are you setting up some of those designer pressures? A lot of times you can pressure without having a blitz. I think people confuse what pressures are not necessarily the same as blitzes. Blitzes to me, when you bring six men and you're bringing everybody and everybody's in man coverage and no safeties in the middle of the field, but pressure is a little bit different. You can bring, you know, four or five man pressures. They don't know exactly where those 
pressures are coming from, and it can be tough for our offensive line to pick up. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I guess they didn't really blitz a whole lot because they they were just sending guys from different spots, and and, and I mean, it did seem like they would leave enough guys back in coverage. So that's a really good situation when you can do that. Yeah, and I, and I think it come. You, you've got to hold up in in, in coverage, and you got to be able to make open field tackles. And uh, I think one of the things you talked about, uh, I believe, in some of the times we've talked, is Maxwell worship in the camp that he's had. Yeah. That carried over into the game. Uh, it didn't just carry over. I thought both he and Orgy both had explosive hits, you know, tone-setting type hits it, within the course of the game. Now, one, obviously, Orgy takes back to the house, but Orgy had, had a hit prior to that that was also very explosive. So they're always talking about winning the response. That's one of the Coach Lee's big mantras or has been during the camps and, and during the camp. And I feel like what that that was the response. The response was we're just going to keep playing. And, and, and one of the things I was most impressed with with when I was in town and, and got a chance to see a couple of days uh, of of them practice was the situational football. And so all of those situations that even if you're up, if you're up by a couple scores or let's say you're down by all the different situations they were put in during camp. Uh, they kind of had been faced kind of every single situation. So being down a little bit to me was not really that big of a deal early. I thought the secondary was terrific. You mentioned Max Worship and how his camp translated. I thought the same thing. One other guy that really stood out to me was B.J. Anderson, who's barely played for three years because of injury, but I thought he was fantastic, Corey. Well, he was. I thought I thought one of the things that he did that, that, that stood out was – uh, some of the things that I you know Coach Jackson talks about with them in, the, in in terms of being able to look and lean and and being able to get to the top shoulder when you're in coverage and not panicking. You saw that in the red zone. We talked about worship. I thought a big play that was underrated in the game. I think it was a third down in the red zone when he knocked the pass away. That could have been a touchdown. Yeah, early. yeah. But a change in play as well that you know kind of gets overlooked in the grand scope of things. But they they scored that touchdown there. And that's worshiping coverage really made me known more to be a tone setter, but I thought that was an excellent close by him. And then Anderson broke up a touchdown as well in the end zone. Um, and then the sack, like you were talking about, bringing those designer pressures, he comes off the edge. And then he runs the quarterback down from behind with that 4-4 speed. So got to be excited about that. I was also pretty excited about some of the things that I saw. Coach Lustig has talked about the special teams. I thought the kick coverage – was really good in this game. And you're going to have to be good in terms of covering kickoffs throughout the season. Th- those, that's one of those things that, that goes unnoticed when you win a game 63-10, to 10, but not un- unnoticed by me because they had six kickoff returns in the game and Vanderbilt only allowed 15 yards of kickoff return in the, in the contest. Yeah, wow, good point. That, that went totally overlooked and all the dominance they had elsewhere. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that when you go into this game against Elon, uh, they averaged about 21 yards of kickoff return a year ago. So you come into this game, and that's a that's an area you want to be able to dominate. You also, you know, we didn't get to see a lot of hay ball because of the fact he had the one big punt early, but he's going to be a factor as you move forward here. Now, this team was not really good, Elon, in terms of returning uh, they averaged about four yards of punt return a year ago, which was 99th in, in FCS uh, play. So that's something that you've got to dominate 
Uh, and then on the other side, in terms of what they allow from a kickoff return perspective, not a lot of opportunities for Vanderbilt special teams wise to get the kick return game going uh, in this past game. But uh, this is an opportunity. Elon did give up a touchdown on a kickoff return a year ago. So that's something that we want to see and see how that's coming together this week coming up. We talked a lot of defense. What did you think of the game that offensive coordinator Joey Lynch called? I thought it was fantastic. I was very impressed with uh, just really one of the things that I thought he was very intent on early. I remember last week I told you about, I said when we, we talked, I was talking about he had some similarities to Norv Turner, right? Well, one of the reasons I said that, not necessarily always from formation design or, or what have you all the time, but what I mean by that is attacking a team a certain way and letting that be the theme for the game. And I think that's something that you got, you can, you, you've seen that from him in the past at Ball State and other places where he's been. If he gets into a theme, that's going to be the theme for that game. And right away, he wanted to extend their defense laterally, and that was going to open up the inside run games and make it easier to complete some of the – the zone blocking schemes that, that they were running inside, some of the split zone blocking schemes when they're taking that tight end, kicking out the weak side defensive end. Well, you open that stuff up when you're running those lateral plays, uh, you know, early on in the game, and they're getting speed with McGowan to kind of loosen up the defense a little bit, right? You got to be thinking more perimeter base. Then you come back and hit them with some of the inside uh, run game. And I thought that was something that from a schematic standpoint – opened up everything, and then you end up having it later on where you can throw some split zone read with the quarterback running there. You outnumbered them in the in the run game. And I, I didn't think they had a lot of answers uh, for the way that uh, he designed the run running attack. That design of the running attack, very impressive throughout, uh, very similar to what Florida State did this past week in their opening game um, as well. Very similar, but maybe even a little bit more creative than what FSU did. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster. So go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Well, Corey Vandy runs for 404 yards in that game, and I don't remember the last time Vanderbilt ran for 404 yards. It might have been when Jerry DiNardo was coach. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I noticed too was that David Castillo got a lot of time at center. Um, I actually saw him get up to the linebacker a couple of different times on some of the split split zone reads. I mean, actually, one of the touchdowns, he got up to a linebacker. I think that was on Ray Davis. I thought he ran the ball very hard. Uh, they, 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 they really had a good job in terms of mixing and matching in the run game. 
You even got some, a really um, excellent performance, I thought, late from Gillespie, Gillespie, you know, later on in the game. But you mix that in with McGowan and then what Ray Davis did and obviously Wright's uh, impact. So it's kind of a, the, the strength of the team is the running back room, and you did all of this without Patrick Smith. So you got to be encouraged by how those guys ran the ball. And again, uh, Brammer, I thought Ben Cox played well. He had a pancake block. Uh, on that, I believe on that third quarter touchdown run, he had a pancake block on that play. So uh, you had a lot of different contributors uh, up front. Uh, and then Azebu, I believe, started at left tackle, or he played quite a bit at left tackle. Uh, I thought he had one time where his hands got a little nosy, he had a holding call. But, uh, you know, he had his moments as well in terms of being able to create some forward movement in the run game. Uh, so, a lot, of different fa- a lot of different guys factored in on that offensive line, Ashmore and, and some others as well. And they were able to get a lot of guys to play up front as well. We've got a long time and we haven't really talked about Mike Wright. Man, he was a headache on Saturday night. Yeah, he was. And, and, and I thought the thing about him, he was calm. He understood what he needed to do. I thought when he got outside the pocket, he threw the ball well. A couple of times, I, I even thought, not real sure on the tip pass that uh, that you had with the, the catch from McGowan, whether that was going to go to him now on the fourth down. And that was a big play in the game. Uh, but he threw that ball with conviction either way. I, I felt like he, you know, the return pivot uh, that Shepard scored on, it was in, they, were in a, uh, they were in a bunch formation, and they ended up running the return pivot with them. And he, you know, he was patient in the pocket, and he found the guy open on the play. Uh, it, it was a patient route from Shepard. And and then the touchdown, the other touchdown that he threw to Shepard. So uh, just being efficient, I think that's the big thing for Mike Wright. You know he's a, a leader. Uh, you know you know he's a game breaker. Uh, and, and I think that game was was solid for him in terms of okay, this is who I am and this is who we are. You know another guy that ran the ball really well, Rocco Griffin. I, I think that he entered. Oh, goodness. I think he exited fall camp as the three behind Smith as the two. Smith didn't play on Saturday. Uh, I wonder if he's maybe stolen some playing time with his performance. Well, he had a 100-yard game against Stanford a year ago. Uh, then he ended the season with two 100-yard games. So now when you've got that kind of competition with Davis – and you come into the season, Davis is coming back, and he wants to reclaim his spot, and he ran with some passion now. So you got yeah. those two guys. You know what Davis can do in pass protection, and Griffin's gotten bigger and stronger. So now when you combine those two guys, they should feel pretty good about let's keep fighting this out for playing time. You gotta, you're got you going to have to fight to get carries now. And so you can't go in there and have, you know, one, two, three-yard runs. You know, we've established something now. Let's see, you know, this is going to be a – a week-to-week competition, that type of competitiveness in that room, uh, it, it says a lot about uh, really pretty much just not only the coaching staff and what they've kind of developed uh, in terms of that competitiveness, but also uh, the depth overall. And I, I believe that that room is going to continue to get better as the season goes along. And uh, and they certainly they certainly have some talent. Uh, in that room quite a bit because Norvell McKenzie does a great job uh, of coaching the running backs. Corey, are you ready for some questions from the listeners? Good. I hope we got some Elon questions. <laughs> well, I'll ask a few of those at the end. But yeah, um, uh, 
I, I think everybody's mind is, is still on the blowout, which when, when you're Vandy and you get one of those, uh, it, it should be for a while probably. But oh, um, That's exactly what Coach Lee was talking about. And I think that's well, kind of what it should be. Yeah, gotta, the, but, yeah gotta, the team. Gotta, be yeah. already gone around, you know what I mean? But I know what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to take the joy away from the 53-point win. Fans get to celebrate it a little bit longer than the players. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with, I'm with the, I'm with the team. Like, move on. Let's keep it moving. Right. All right. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number six one five eight four six sixty two hundred. See what your rights are and if they can help. Bobby two times asks. Three questions in one. What stood out? What surprised you? And what needs to improve? Well, I, in terms of what stood out, uh, I, I would just say the consistent play speed uh, throughout the game, carrying the pass, the conditioning. Uh, you got to give a, a lot of credit uh, to a lot of different people. I mean, in terms of the staff with, with that. But I think when you look at the football team, uh, one of the things that People, Brandon Horrigan, the the strength and conditioning coach, uh, did a hell of a job, and and I think that stood out. Uh, one of the things that, again, I I wouldn't say improve, but we need to still see, you know, the punt coverage unit. We need to see more in the, in terms of the kickoff return game. Those are things that that we're gonna have to uh, just marry up as we go along. We're gonna have to see the receivers, uh, kind of like what you saw in the fourth quarter. Uh, when you saw Body get the separation, that was an excellent route he ran on the box fade from Swan. You want to be able to see more of those types of wins in one-on-one situations as the games go along. And then finally, I would say, uh, if you, uh, what was the other question? Uh, three part. It's hard to remember it all. Uh, let's see. It was what stood out, what surprised you, and what needs improvement. I, th- I think you've touched on most of that. I don't think that I, you know. In terms of, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. We, we've pointed out some things to look at moving forward. Yeah. Okay, Colombiano door, and I think this is the one that a, a lot of people have. How do you evaluate how good Vandy is versus how bad Hawaii is from a performance like this? I don't think you evaluate Hawaii at all. You just evaluate what you saw from Vanderbilt. And I think if you were to go and say, okay, when we start trying to parcel out why something happened, everybody wants a reason for it. Uh, but a- a- again, were you was anybody asking how did Hawaii beat Fresno State last year when they were one of the hottest teams in the country? You know, it's the same players other than the third. They had a bunch of transfers, obviously, that came in. But again, I, I-, I understand that that team is going through some transition right now. Well, I mean, Vanderbilt is going through a transition of its own in, in terms of a process for over a year, uh, and I think that's one of the things that, that Coach Lee has stressed uh, for everybody to kind of listen to is that big difference in terms of the response last year being down in, in the first game of the season and this year being down on the road, I don't know, 11, 12 hours from home. Okay, Denver Door wants to know, how does a win like the Hawaii game help on the recruiting trail? It's on TV. It's on national TV, and, and, and it was, I thought, a, an excellent decision. I don't know who made it to have it on week zero because you're the talk of week zero, and people won't forget week zero, to be quite frank, because you got, again, I, I talked about Florida State. I talked about 
You know, you had a more impressive win than North Carolina had over Florida A&M. We talked about the Florida State game. Northwestern's probably the talk of week zero because they beat Nebraska. But is that game more about Nebraska or Northwestern? And, and if you if you go around and look at the rest of the games and, and what kind of happened uh, during the week zero, you can't leave week zero without talking about Vanderbilt football. And, and Vanderbilt football kind of got this season started. And I think that's what's important. Okay, Theodore says, what are your impressions of the offense? Scoring 63 is difficult no matter the opponent, but can an offense with limited downfield throwing hold up against SEC defenses? Well, we don't know that they have limited downfield throwing yet. I mean, I think this is that's why this is a different team. We didn't throw a deep ball to McGowan, so we don't know if we've got that. We didn't throw a deep ball necessarily. We threw a couple to Shepard. We threw one to body, and we've got other guys like Skinner who came up a little bit lame in the uh, in the fourth quarter. But I mean, I, again, we, we're going to have to see what what happens as it goes along during the season. We don't need to rush the judgments either way in terms of what we expect. And by the way, it was sixty three points, but two touchdowns by Nick Howell in that defense. Let's not forget that either. So it was actually forty nine points that were scored by the offense and fourteen by the defense continuing an opportunistic trend that continued from a year ago when they had 13 interceptions and weren't the top in the country. And don't forget, we also had the interception taken back by Chase Lloyd in the fourth quarter that, you know, that easily could have been an interception. They overruled it. Yeah, I don't know if I ever remember Vanderbilt getting two defensive touchdowns in a game. Do you? I, I, I mean, I, I've known some teams that have scored, but two in a game, it's sometimes tough to get two in a season. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I remember plenty of seasons they didn't get two on defense, but I, I don't I don't ever think – I mean, I'm, I'm sure they've got the record somewhere, or maybe they don't, but in my memory, I don't ever remember Vanderbilt getting two defensive touchdowns in the same game. Well, it, it certainly was impressive, and I think that's the way you want to – because that that builds something, and I and I'm a believer that you force that that those turnovers were forced. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, when I, when I go hit you and I knock the ball out of your hands, I forced the turn. That's why they call it a forced fumble. And both were were play made plays made by the individuals. Did you hear Max Worship's explanation of the fumble he forced? Sort of. I know he said he came down the alley. He, he you know, he, he lined up the, the head and, and made it, you know, excellent contact on the ball. And, and then it was just it, it popped up into the right the right spot. And and uh, you, you had uh, Anthony, t- you know, take advantage of it and score. Well, he said and I'd have to go back and listen again, but I believe what he said was based on the formation Hawaii was in. He knew where the ball was going, so he anticipated that whole play, which obviously helped him get there and deliver a pretty vicious hit once he did. Well, he filled the alley like he anticipated it. If you watch, sure did, yeah, and just see how he closed downhill. So uh, there was nothing wrong with the anticipatory nature of how uh, he met the runner on contact. And again, uh, you're talking about an enforcer and, and somebody. That stuff shows up on tape. When you go to the next game, you know, guys are going to be looking uh, a little bit to see where number 21 is at. Okay, last question, then I'll ask you some stuff about Elon. J.D. Elkav says, in the last podcast with Corey, you mentioned something about college football players' unions as being a solution to NIL and transfers. 
but the conversation moved on. Can you expand on what you said? Well, I, I, I mean, I, we, we were kind of what we were talking about was a question that, that Chris had asked me. And, and what was the, 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 the person's name? Just so I could respond to him. Uh, J, JDL Cav. JDL. Well, that one of the things Chris asked me about was NIL. And then we were talking about like, and, and I think, Chris, I'm paraphrasing here so you could kind of correct me. You were kind of asking about how players how how it kind of gotten out of control to a certain degree and yeah. where you got to rein that in to a degree. And what I mentioned was the only way you'd be able to rein that in with regulation, if you you can regulate it all you want to, but at some point, then that would allow the players to actually unionize is what, what we that's what we were really talking about. And what we meant by that or what I was meaning by that was the unionization of the players would actually allow them to fight for certain rights if it's become if it becomes regulated in terms of what they might be able to get individually through NIL. And I think I referenced um, actually, you know, a, a WNBA player, a, as a matter of fact, somebody who played at South Carolina, Asia Wilson, because restricting it and regulating it would regulate Asia Wilson, for example's individual earning power. And that's exactly what you you don't want to do. And if you do that, then you'd have to allow the players to potentially unionize at every level, whether it's WNBA, excuse me, whether it's uh, women's basketball, men's basketball, men's baseball, soccer, or whatever it may be. Don't you think that's the direction we're headed? It possibly could be. We, we, who knows? But I, I know we were pretty passionate about it that night. We were going back and forth as we <laughs> always do. But it was it was a pretty cool conversation, actually. Let's talk Elon a minute. Um, Elon was, I believe, seven and six a year ago. Has had some good teams in recent years. I don't believe is ranked in mm-hmm. the preseason poll. Lost a quarterback who was kind of a, a do everything guy for them almost a year ago, and they bring in a transfer. I think from Montana State who had a decent career there. What do you know about Elon? Well, I'm very familiar with the quarterback, Davis Cheek. I wrote him up a, a year ago for Draft Nasty, and we were pretty familiar with the roster. But uh, in terms of losing a player like him, now he had been injured. And so th- last year was his first year really coming back. And they kind of went to a little bit of a spread attack. They were doing a lot more two-by-two two in terms of four wide receiver sets. But they did have some zone read. Uh, that they had in there to do a little bit of RPO or run pass options, as a lot of people call it. And actually, one of the quarterbacks you talked about, um, I think it's Matthew McKay, who came from Montana State. Yep. But they actually have uh, another quarterback on the roster who started when Cheek actually was out in 2020 uh, with the injury. So they've got a little bit of, they've got some, you know, they got some different things that they can do in terms of, We'll see where it all kind of plays itself out at. That guy's name is Joy Ballman. But overall, they've got a couple of receivers. I think Bryson Daltrey, uh, about 197-pound senior. You saw him kind of run away from man coverage when I was watching the James Madison game a year ago in the slot. slot. So you got to be careful on missing the jam against him. I think Hawaii ran a couple of box fades. That's simply where the number two slot receiver runs a fade from the inside. Uh, he scored. He had touchdowns in five straight games last year. He's not even their best receiver. Their best receiver is Jackson Parham, and he's a little bit of a bigger guy. He's a former high school basketball player. Went, went for over 800 yards last year, been a factor on special teams. Hasn't scored as much as Daughtry, 
And then they got a couple of uh, transfer running backs in terms of Jalen Hampton. He comes from Virginia Tech, and they got Jalen Thomas coming back. So that that's kind of where they come from offensively. Will they spread it out and try to throw the ball? I think they'd be opening themselves up to some uh, pressure concepts with that offensive line if they decide to do that. Uh, it's just a, a matter of, you know, how much are they going to try to establish the run game when Hampton and Thomas – that seems to kind of have been the direction for them so far in preseason camp, Chris. Defensively, Corey, I think I heard they've got nine starters back. What do you expect from them there? Well, I'm very familiar with their defensive coordinator. In fact, I played with their defensive coordinator in the NFL, Devontae Edwards. Uh, he actually had my last year in Minnesota. He was a rookie, and he ended up uh, having a 48-yard interception return for a touchdown against Brett Favre. He's been a defensive coordinator at Moorhead State. He was a defensive pass game coordinator at UNC Central, where he tutored Brian Mills, who ended up going to the Senior Bowl. And they've done a pretty good job defensively. Now, last year they had nine picks, and they've got some some players in the secondary. I think that's really where the strength of their defense lies. They'll bring some pressure concepts. Um, I think one of the things, one of the guys that might, depending on how this whole thing shakes out with them in the secondary. They got a cornerback in Shamari Wingert. I was just referencing that JMU game from a year ago. I gave up a couple of touchdowns in that game. Uh, the, the, Trayvon Jones is a former four-sport athlete in high school. He kind of opens up the gate a little bit in press man coverage. That could be something that some of the speedy guys that we have, like a body or a Shepard uh, or, or McGowan, who I mentioned earlier, could take advantage of. Uh, but he is capable of flipping back and getting back in phase with receivers. He was a third-team All-CAA pick a year ago. Now, probably their best defensive back is Cole Coleman, 30 career starts, preseason All-American. Uh, his dad, Chris, played at NC State, and he also played for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, he started 11 games at safety a year ago, first-team All-Conference. Uh, he, he he can rush. He can you know in terms of being able to disguise some things. He can cover some the tight ends occasionally. I think he's got decent range. He's a pretty good tackler, kind of a tone setter for their defense. I think he's a guy to watch. Cole Coleman in their secondary, uh, and then another guy to kind of look at is Omar Rogers, uh, a redshirt sophomore in the back end for Devontae. Corey, we covered a lot of ground. Is there anything we missed tonight? No, 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 no. I, I think uh, probably uh, when it comes down to it, man, just solid opening week. I thought that everything kind of came together. Uh, this week is definitely uh, is a week where you want to make sure you play your best game. The next game's got to be your best game. I think that's the big thing, that, that the message that probably the coaches are preaching to the players. And uh, I, think, I think that the maturity that they show going out on that type of trip to me, it was businesslike. Yes. I know you're saying it was so shock. You know, I, I didn't, I just saw, to me, what I saw, Chris, I just saw the same thing I saw in practice. I know I was probably a little bit more excited than, than you know, than a lot of people that you talk to about the team coming out. And, and I'm interested to see how they play in this game. I think this is an important game uh, in terms of your mindset. And and I think their mindset is is on point. And I think they're going to come out with even more to prove this week. That, that's just my opinion. Well, look, we talked um, a lot at practice when you were there a couple of weeks ago. And, and one thing that you took away, you thought that Vanderbilt was more athletic than, than maybe people gave him credit for being. You, you thought maybe this was a potentially a better team 
than people gave it credit for being. And I mean, look, we've only got one week to go by, but um, that was a pretty good week. Yeah, and I and I feel like for them, it, it really comes down to when you look at the again set the edges in the run game, making sure you're stout up front. You want to, you know, we, we we saw some flashes from Miles Cecil, right? We didn't talk about yeah. him. We yeah. saw some flashes from him. Like we were still waiting to see another, you know, Langham. I, I like to see him uh, have a big week this week. Uh, McAllister came up with a big play, so you want to be able to see. And, and by the way, I want to. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, Chris, one of the guys that really kind of flashed in terms of on the, I want to make sure I get this in there before we get off, um, was uh, Tommy Eccles, the junior linebacker. Yeah. He kind of flashed on kickoff coverage in the third quarter. And I just want to give him credit for that. I I, I felt like he, along with Langston Patterson, the, out of Christ Pres- Presbyterian Academy, he also had a tackle on the kickoff team. So I just know it's one of the things that I talked to the team about when I was there. I really love their special teams mentality. Their coach is incredible, Justin Lustig. And I I, I, I want to see that continue to be a big part of this football team moving forward. And, and I was happy to see that those guys played with some passion um, week one. Yeah, two things I wanted to touch on there. I thought Langston Patterson, of all the incoming freshmen, and, and look, this is a lot of it was opportunity because Anthony Orgy and Arrington Truesdale were both out a lot of camp. I just thought Langston made a lot of plays in camp and came away very impressed with him. The other thing, their preferred walk on program is picking up a little bit of steam. Eccles, I believe, is one of those kids. They've got a few walk ons. I think that of uh, the PWO variety that that can play it might not be this year, but you may see some of these kids make a contribution before they're done. Michael Spencer would be one of them too, by the way. Michael played, I think, thirty-one snaps um, and really gave their defensive line a bit of a boost. But I think that is a point of emphasis for them that you'll see return some dividends in the coming years. Yeah, and I, I was even I, I even another guy that flashed for me was B.J. Diakiti. Uh, it made a nice tackle in space in the third quarter, dropping in a curl flat. Uh, you know, I, I thought they I thought there was some times when Hawaii found some holes in the zone coverage. That's got to be something they got to have to tighten up. Maybe some of those matches. Um, you, you know, one of the guys you talked about, the Ricky Wright. I thought he had his moments. He had an excellent uh, pass breakup, matching a, a quick out out of a stack look, and that actually came on a six-man pressure. So that's one of the things we were talking about a little bit differently. That was one of their pressure concepts. And Wright, being a, you know, a taller guy, to be able to match that route so effortlessly and use that length to knock the ball down, you know, those are the plays that kind of um, you know, stood out for me. And I think right after that, that's where I had the notes that uh, Nick Howell mixed up the looks well. So between Lynch and Howell, uh, Lustig, uh, they all were wonderful. And, of course, the steady demeanor of Clark Lee, uh, I didn't, I couldn't tell whether they were winning or losing when I was yeah. in the order. I mean, he's so calm and, and, and collected, man. He's, a, he's definitely what you – he's what you want. If you want to talk about being able to, to win the response and stand through the storm – um, you know, it, it, he's a fun coach to play for, you would imagine, because he's just such a, 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 a great person. But just his steady demeanor, man, that it has to make you feel like you're in good shape no matter what. 
you know, one other guy that, that's probably worth to mention that we didn't get to, and well, I'm sure there's more than one, but one that I thought of is we're ending. Darren Agu, they really had to have somebody step up. I mean, they had their back against the wall at that star position with the Miles Capers injury, and they really only got about three guys there right now. He gave them a lot of snaps, and I thought he played pretty well, and that's not easy to do as a true freshman, especially when you miss – I don't know, maybe half of camp, which is what he did. Yeah, I did an outstanding observation by you uh, in terms of, you know, what, what does it mean? What, what does he have to, you know, what does he have to be able to do from that position? And they put a lot of a lot of work into that position, you know, during with Javon Hay coaching it up along with Coach Black. But Javon Hay, you know, he's got a primary responsibility and he puts a lot on 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 the plates of those players at that position. So you you've got a lot to be able to digest mentally, but at the same time, you got some freedom there, some freedom to have some creativity and allow you to, to develop your game. And you know, again, when when you've got players like him that are pretty athletic, uh, it, it kind of makes for a pretty interesting room because certainly we already kind of have an idea what Michael Owusu can do. Uh, he didn't have, but he had a pretty good quarterback hurry the other other night. But um, you know they've got a lot of guys in that uh, for, in terms of that position. They got a little bit more depth than people may believe at that position. All right, Corey, uh, you of course run Draft Nasty. You do a lot of stuff. Tell folks about your work and where they can follow you and it. Yeah, Draft Nasty magazine, man. That's that's where it's at uh, right now. Um, uh, pretty much just kind of getting ready to cover. Uh, some of the games upcoming this week, Got a lot of different games that we're going to be covering. Uh, Clemson and Georgia Tech also um, are going to be able to see Florida State and LSU. So pretty excited about the weekend. Um, not real sure, but possibly could end up going to a high school football game on Saturday. So uh, pretty busy weekend upcoming and looking forward to sharing some of the coverage. Corey, thanks a bunch. We'll catch up with you again hopefully next week after the Elon game. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on, Chris. I had a great time again. You bet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.